that's not something I can control. It like, happens or it doesn't. So in one sense, that's terrifying because I cannot guarantee it's going to happen. But on the other side, it kind of takes the pressure off. Um, uh, I play music too. And when you're having a really good night, you get the sense that you're kind of like a channel for something else. You're not, you know, it's almost like getting out of your own way. And, and for Twilight to come to life, I will have to get out of my own way. So it's a matter of kind of putting the hours in, getting my ego out and just doing the work. Welcome to Local Wire, a community news service podcast that brings Vermont news to your ears. My name is Mandy Gusky, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we'll be talking about a lesser-known revolutionary, Alexander Twilight. Artist Katie Rundy was commissioned to paint a life-size portrait of him for the Vermont State House. She was the one that was just speaking. But first, let me dive into who Twilight was and what he did. Twilight grew up in Corinth, Vermont, working as an indentured servant on a nearby farm from age 8 to 21. His father, Ichabod, was at least biracial and his mother, Mary, had been described as everything from color to white, but researchers can conclude that she was probably white. While Twilight didn't necessarily pass as white, he spent most of his life ignoring his racial identity, according to Middlebury professor Bill Hart. Twilight's race was either unknown to his peers at the time or just not discussed. There is very little documentation that throughout his lifetime he identified as black. I think some of his accomplishments were because he did not identify as a person of race. If we don't see him as what we might think of as fully black, Uh, Does that then compromise this achievement of his as being the first black graduate to receive a college degree, the first black to be elected to a state legislature, Vermont, Um, probably the first black headmaster of a public school up in Brownington? Um, No, I don't think it I don't think it diminishes those achievements at all. Uh, I am willing and ready to accept the fact that in the 21st century world, we identify him as black. What I want us to be conscious of is, what do we mean by that? I'd like us to think in more creative, uh, more critical, more imagined ways of thinking about blackness than this bifurcated way of either black or you're white. Blackness is, it's a lived experience, uh, which means that there's great variety to black identity, depending on your, your age, the time, the place, your education, uh, your status, its gender, etc. It's a lived experience, but it's also a shared history. Uh, and that shared history of one of oppression and discrimination and exclusion. And so certainly Twilight, we could say that he lived perhaps a black experience if people in Corinth we're whispering, yeah, we knew the Twilights were a colored family. That is a that is one experience that you know a person of color lived. Twilight had his own lived experiences, as Professor Bill Hart said. His life was filled with accomplishments. He entered Middlebury College in 1821 and graduated in 1823, being the first black man to receive a bachelor's degree. That fact stayed unknown in history for over 150 years until 1974. The editor of the Middlebury magazine, Gregor Heil, discovered the Twilights listed in the 1800 census. 
The family was written in the far right column under all free non-white people who are not Native Americans that are being taxed. In 1829, Twilight became the headmaster in Brownington and helped build Athenian Hall to accommodate for the growing student body. Then, in 1836, Twilight was elected to the Vermont General Assembly, being the first black person to serve in a state legislature in the United States. With all of these accomplishments listed, and even more that aren't included, the state curator, along with the nonprofit Friends of the Vermont State House, collaborated to commission this portrait honoring Twilight. There's a lot it carries with it. Um, just that this is the direction the State House has chosen to go in is really exciting, and I'm really proud of this this movement. Uh, especially if you think about who's already hanging there, it's all you know older white men. A lot of them there because of military victories, and to have a progressive educator. Um, a minister, um, and of course, somebody of color represented is a huge deal. So um, going into this, it's like there's an enormous sense of gravity that isn't always there. And also, you know, like with that gravity comes a real sense of responsibility to, you know, take all the necessary steps. I'm usually not patient enough to do a lot of sketches, say, but for this, I will. Um, there'll be a lot, a lot more planning than usual. I think it's important not only for Vermont, but for the United States to honor you know, a first state legislator of color in this particular way. I think it's a great, a, a great sign of the state legislator to recognize, to acknowledge, you know, the participation in governments beyond just white men at this particular time. Um, I believe there are some women, uh, portraits of women in the state house as well now, finally. Um, so I, I think it's, it's wonderful that we're acknowledging Twilight in this particular way. It, it's, it's overdue. Diversifying who we are as Vermonters is really important right now because the state can come off as so exclusive. And it's like the joke in late night comedy for the whitest state. And we've got to change that. An agrarian community where everyone lives in harmony because every single person is white. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know that place. That sounds like Vermont. Hart elaborated on why he thinks it took so long for this recognition. Why wasn't his uh, portrait commissioned earlier at the tail end of the civil rights movement of the 1970s? Why not in the early 90s when people could be becoming woke because of uh, the Rodney King uprising in L.A. in 1992. Well, I think, um, I think Black Lives Matter movement uh, since the mid-teens, 2015, has really raised people's awareness of racial injustice, the need for racial justice and reconciliation. And I think this is one step toward that. Um, the time seems right. Uh, to do this. I think, you know, when you see white Americans out there marching for racial justice in these Black Lives Matter marches the way they did in the 1960s, that's meaningful. That that says something. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, the legislators recognize that and they say, not only is the time, but it's it's overdue. We need to do this. Coming off these last four years, it seems even more important to do this kind of work. While this is a great way to honor Twilight, the portrait still needs to be painted, 
and there will be loads of challenges along the way, including finding a body double to match Twilight's size along with the correct clothes of the early 19th century. This tiny daguerreotype and I have to turn it into a life-size portrait. And you know, that's hard enough if you have a great reference photo to do a life-size portrait, but to have a tiny one, it's terrifying. And at the same time, I feel like I believe enough in the project to, you know, just kind of set that aside and proceed to make him look crisp and real and like full size, I will have to extrapolate. And extrapolation is very stressful and it's terrifying and it will, and like, I mean, really any drawing along the way, it looks terribly wrong most of the way and until it, you just get it. As the first black man to be a state representative, to graduate college in the US. And at the same time, he was most likely passing as white. And there's an ambiguity to balance there because we want to celebrate him as a person of color and also acknowledge um, the situation he was working with in his own lifetime. So getting a sense of that ambiguity is also really important. So we're not just blindly going forth being like, we, we are going to force this representation out of him. We have to be respectful of like the whole person. Rundi is excited for this project, but at first she wasn't. She almost didn't apply. I was hesitant to apply at first, um, but I have a friend who was who had passed along the application was like, oh, you know, this is what you do. You should apply. And it's like, I feel like this is, this is obviously better done by an artist of color. And he was just like, you know, it's also Vermont and this is also what you do. So, you know, apply anyway. I mean, you know, they tell you on cover letters, like, don't say why you shouldn't have the job. And I was like, I can't apply to this without first saying this should be done by somebody of color. But then again, Vermont's pretty homogeneous. There aren't a lot of realist portrait painters around anyway. So, you know, we gotta take what we have. It's intimidating and it's pretty humbling. It makes, it, it really gives me a sense of my own limitations. And it's a good, like, especially as a white artist, like I am coming in with blind spots that I need to make sure, um, you know, that I'm, I need to make sure that my mine is not the only voice showing up here. I was blown away. I hadn't really been expecting it to come my way. I'm still kind of a junior painter on the scene in a way, being under 40, I guess. And, you know, relatively new to the area. I mean, it's like I've been here for 10 years, or so relatively new to the area. And yeah, when I heard about it, I think I was... I was intimidated before I was excited. Like my partner was just like, oh my goodness, like this is such a big deal. And it's like, I knew that, but my first thought was like, that daguerreotype is really small. Like, can I do, can I do it justice? Can I do it justice? So I had to kind of get that part of my ego out of the way too, this, <laughs> the scared part. The idea is that this painting will stay around for hundreds of years. And with that, Hart is hoping it invokes conversation. So I think his portrait will stimulate the conversation about where else have African-Americans made a contribution to life in Vermont. That's one. And then the other conversation that I hope that it will spark is how should we think about race in the 21st century? 
To finish off my interview with Rundi, she told me a little bit about what she would love to see in the final painting. I, I hope it has the spark. I hope, even though that is such a grouchy looking daguerreotype, like all the records from his students show that he was a fun, funny guy. Like he had a big sense of humor. He had a big personality. Like, I just want to pack as much of that cool stuff in there as possible. Um, I want the ambiguity to be there. Like, I just want it to be, yeah, I want it to be alive. And once again, there's, there's always so much control that you have over that. Um, yeah, but to like, I would almost say kind of like how a poem expresses reality, even though language is usually limiting, a poem gets there kind of like obliquely, kind of from the side. And I feel like for this, I want to be able to kind of reach reach a depiction of him obliquely from the side, you know, from a more poetic place. I am Amanda Gusky, and you've been listening to Local Wire. Be sure to check out our podcast for more Vermont news stories by searching Local Wire wherever you get your podcasts.